absolutely phenomenal. And how do you put statistics on this, Phil? This isn't measurable because this is the art of human. I think there's tears in your eyes, Raymond. It's the 17th of November. Welcome to the Soccer in Theory podcast. With Rehan Ahmed and Mark Jay, I'm Ashwin Bajaj. And together we'll be discussing the events coming out of the world of football and look towards the week ahead. You can follow us on the Soccer in Theory podcast, available both on Apple and Spotify, and also on our website, soccerintheory.com. Well, guys, now it's two days away from the World Cup. We have the first match, opening match, on Sunday. But and we'll have a lot of time and occasion to talk about football and strategy and tactics and how the team's doing over the next few weeks. But before we actually go into that, there is a lot of there's a miasma of corruption and intrigue and all sorts of other more underhand um, events and processes which have surrounded the organization of this World Cup and what do you guys think about all the side stories that have been emerging? Players protest. There's lots and lots of media coverage about what's been happening with migrant exploitation, the Qatari owners, sports washing, and all those human rights issues. Some of which, I suppose, are taken. Some of this are very, you know, Western media oriented. But all of them, there's no smoke without fire, obviously, and and there are real issues and. What do you guys think about what's been going on um, in, in the various backstories um, around the World Cup? Ryan, I think you had some thoughts on this, and we'll let's start with you. Yeah. Um, well, I guess recently there were two. Um, there's one documentary about FIFA corruption and the Qatar World Cup that's been pretty um, well received in the football community, football fan community, sort of um, unveiling the sort of uh, the specifics of the conspiracy that we all um, have heard bits and pieces of over the last 10 years, really, from from the <laughs> point at which Qatar got the bid. There was people, there was sort of um, talk about how they got the bid, a lot of uh, sort of claims about who's corrupt, but Essentially, I think that everyone knew uh, that everyone was involved was corrupt. It was a question of connecting the dots and following the flows. Uh, the FIFA documentary, I think, uh, did a they did a good job, sort of uh, showing exactly what Jack Warner did and what Laser did and all this. Um, but one thing I thought interesting was more the the a little more subtly the discourse around. Um, Qatar and human rights violations and I know that I mean to be clear I think there's all those human rights violations are um, that Qatar is uh, they're clearly sort of sports washing to cover all this up um, but I thought it was interesting with Hugo Lloris's recent comment about the um, the uh, wearing the whether he would he was asked whether he'd wear the armband the um, rainbow-colored armband to support LGBTQ, and he said, uh, "I think his quote was 
that when we are in France, we will welcome foreigners or when we welcome foreigners, we want them to follow our rules, to respect our culture. And I will do the same when I go to Qatar, quite simply. Now, this sort of response is very tepid and anodyne and like uh, not much of an activist uh, spirit for Hugo. Uh, so like, I think it was, it was criticized in France and other places. Uh, but what I thought was is the point and presumably, you know, this uh, armband is really an, a protest against an unjust law. I mean, there are all sorts of unjust laws about homosexuality or even suspicions of homosexuality in, in Qatar. Um, and so, like, so I think in the Western media, let, let's call them that for now, uh, the, the criticism is that this is actually a protest against an unjust law. And so this is like analogous to protesting um, apartheid in South Africa in the early 90s, if, you know, when that question of whether FIFA would uh, support the South African Federation, they clearly sort of said no, right? So both FIFA should be say, doing something, the players like Lloris should be uh, saying something here. Um, so, uh, yeah, I thought what was really interesting is that it, there, there's like a, um, a conflict among two different values. One, which is just multiculturalism or cultural pluralism. Um, these are fra fraught categories that we can talk about more. But um, and then the other one is just about like something about non-discrimination or equality. And so if you're going to um, Loris is saying something like, oh, respect, respect means sort of when you're in another, let's say, culture, give that culture its sort of hegemony um, and respect that as an outsider. Um, now, now, it was sort of, so I, I don't know, maybe I'll ask you guys what you think about that first, because uh, before going more into it, but I, 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 perhaps I'll just say that the so some of the criticism also from the journalists who um, I think was his name Philippe Leclerc was mentioning that on Twitter a lot of academics and academic types are saying that when it comes to criticizing Qatar everyone's racist if you say something now I think he has in <laughs> mind that a certain sort of culturalist post-colonial uh, type of critic who will kind of use this category, you know, racism or like Orientalism to be like, oh, look, you're, uh, you, you, there's a double standard and uh, et cetera. Okay. But I thought the double standard, because Loris is French, uh, I think unconsciously he may have pointed out something that would make us uncomfortable, but maybe should be spelled out more that's implicit here, which is just kind of like, um, with the French sort of laïcité approach to Muslims in France, I think the argument from that side would be that, oh, you know, when they come here, Muslims come here, we support them and we'll let them do their thing up to a point where they impinge on all our cultural sort of, you know, uh, what we consider to be, if not sacred, then the fabric of our society, you know, right. uh, culturally, they have to stop, there's a limit. And if they insisted on that and said okay also when we go over there we do that this is what it kind of would look like so i think they need to update it with something about uh 
another claim to universal enlightenment, the universality of certain enlightenment values of tolerance or intolerance and like make that explicit and say, hey, actually, um, that isn't what we mean. Multiculturalism or cultural pluralism has to be subordinate to that. And here I was going to talk about Zizek, but Mark, you can jump in and say what you think here. Yeah. <laughs> about Zizek? <laughs> or about my surprise? About Zizek. Maurice's... Only Zizek. The rest of the way. <laughs> Honestly, the philosophy I'm questions joking. are interesting. Please don't do that. What's, yeah. what's more interesting immediately was that Larice is even still Francis' keeper. I don't even understand how this guy's kept his... <laughs> kept his spot i think he's oh you I mean he's, from playing or from yeah i mean from playing like i think he's been out of form for like six years um anyway that's the deal that's that's just a little pot shot i wanted to get in but um i i think it's interesting because it the immediate thought is like where do you draw a line because i saw was it someone came out and said there was too much pressure on players to to, to protest um and i thought that was an interesting point because it's like where do you where 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 do we draw a line that was always like you know a point that that came up in um in graduate school it tends to i think it, it maps onto what you're saying where like anytime someone tried to critique um something that was happening let's say in the in the global south or whatever categories is politically correct now um it it would be there would always be someone that would turn around and then say how can you even criticize them when really look you have to look in your look in the mirror and look at what's happening in the in the u.s and you put me onto that tifo documentary which i thought was like fantastic i've been watching that mm -hmm. um the last you know couple hours in preparation for this and it's really so good um <laughs> uh, and like the dry british wit accompanying it is, is like really satisfying um but also they dialed it down which is nice it's mostly <laughs> Like very subtle. <laughs> it's subtle, yeah. It's like it's it is like just like about Maradona's like cocaine use. So it just like slip it in. But um, but what that documentary did a good job of showing me, and I learned a lot from it, was how intricate all of this dirty money is in the game at large. So the amount that let's just say oil money has you know taken over the game makes it. I mean, if Qatar basically owns, if I'm understanding things correctly, Qatar basically owns Paris, Saint Germain. Yeah, and Al Jazeera, and, and yeah, yeah, and Al Jazeera, yeah. and BN Sports, and like the rights to and BN Sports, right? And there's a whole. What I'm trying to get at is there's a whole slippery network. That's not that slippery, but there's a, the deeper you look. The, there, there are more and more and more things that can be protested. So why, why? Um, why such an onus on, on protestation now? I'm not saying that, I'm not even necessarily agreeing with this perspective. I'm just saying, obviously, you go into an autocratic country with certain um, things that we find unacceptable in terms of treatment of, of minority categories and also just treatment of workers and all these deaths that are not even really being covered up. Like they're just kind of, if they're being covered up, if the fact that whatever, 6,000 plus migrant workers died while building this World Cup, if that's been covered up, they've done a terrible job because it's just like a Google search away. Um, and so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm I'm curious what you think, Ashwin, because it, it it does, it gets at it it gets at all of these it gets at all of these issues. Um, but I'm not sure if I'm a player, where am I supposed to protest? 
versus, I mean, are we protesting? What are we protesting? Are we protesting that, that black people are being killed by the police? Are we protesting that our owner is, you know, who's funding the money through really dirty money? Are we fr- protesting the fact that uh, we're living in a, in a in a colonial state that is ransacked <laughs> like we're only here playing because of processes of slavery that occurred a couple hundred years ago um it's hard to really know when and no, that's why like it's genocide. yeah okay so <laughs> i'm not trying to i'm not really not trying to make light of all these things no, i'm just trying to i'm just trying to say like you know because like it wasn't it like zatan who came out and was like kind of getting after lebron and was just like you you're too political you know like you need to not we need to not be doing this sort of thing and I can kind of see everyone's point, you know, because I mean, what 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 are we expecting the players to do? I mean, they're not striking. I imagine like like you are, you know. There's not there's no talk of a of a playing strike. So okay, Boy, what are you gonna need? Since go ahead. Since you mentioned the Zlatan one, I was gonna say yeah. like, although I don't really understand where Zlatan was like, uh, like why would he, you know, get, say that to LeBron? Like that was ridiculous. But on the other side, you could to your question. If you ask it to LeBron when Daryl Morey was uh, right, right, essentially fired because of uh, not even protesting but just pointing out injustices in um, Hong Kong, immediately by the NBA, LeBron set, put this line out. He was like, "He needed to be educated more," which I thought was fascinating because <laughs> it's like the brainwashing line, right? Reeducation. It's like he should have been educated before he spoke, and so not only where to draw the line but who i guess like because there's obviously forms of protest that we are endorsing here for good reasons but also forms of protest we wouldn't like suddenly if Kyrie's sort of use of uh, an anti-semitic uh like sort of (laughs) trope which he did like he 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 put up a video like a documentary made by some uh it was like anti-semitic because it was a kind of an anti-semitic black nationalist narrative and so if he puts that out there and he says, I'm not endorsing it, that's just here. And he hasn't been allowed to play. And they, the owners today said something like he needs to do more to, to show people that he's sorry, which reminded me of Foucault in that, you know, in discipline and punishment, <laughs> when he goes through that, <laughs> that thing about like the conscience <laughs> has to, has to be proven. Right. And this is the marker of modern, uh, no. the modern penal system for him. Um, but anyway, yeah, so that, just to throw that in there, too. Absolutely. What do you make of all this, Ashman? I mean, so the thing is, like, what you, you, you guys said, right? Where does one draw the line? I mean, one, just to go into, one thing I have been thinking about even before, when, when we began talking about these things um, a few months ago now, is with professionalization and commercialization of the sport, where's the room for ideology now with past players like bill shankley and brian flow they were committed socialists i mean it was known about them it was um in the way that you'd know a professor's ideological position that was known about those players that is not really true anymore and i think even i know the u.s women's national team has often been much more politically vocal about various issues especially about LGBTQ and so on. I remember Megan Rapinoe, I think she, just a couple of years ago, she had, well, called out Messi and Ronaldo in, in a way, you know, just saying that for people who have their influence, I mean, remember we spoke about this 
Ronaldo has 500 million followers on Instagram and Messi about 375 million. That's the that's number three and number four in terms of like if after India and China, that's the highest population, you know, if, if you're just counting groups. Um, now, so what is the player's role? Um, and and where is, where is what's the possibility of ideology? On the one hand, you'd want to say, okay, there is some sort of commitment. But on the other hand, they're not really academics or even people who are well-read or, you know, if you want to be a bit meaner about it, they... I don't know if they even know how to read. That's not, not. I mean, forget about reading something complicated. They're not, I mean, I wouldn't be very interested in knowing what Messi's opinions on anything are. I mean, beyond, not even about football, actually, because we've discussed this, you know, what they do doesn't mean they understand what they do, but much less anything else. So on the other hand, the fact that nowadays you have one individual having such influence at so many different ways. If my, Messi actually said something about, you know, anyone, you know, Foucault and Marx, you'd imagine a huge increase in sales. Just, I mean, you know, I'm not saying that that would change the world, but that's what that's that's the commercial influence they have, which could, um, which could extend to even even ridiculous opinions that they have, which 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 um like you know I think you, you guys talked about Zlatan's comments a little while ago. The other thing is when, but you know, a little more about okay, what is the country's role? What is FIFA and the organization's role? I think there is still something to be said about now Qatar. There are immigrants who have died, you know, constructing this and so on, and. And 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 I think that needs to be mentioned. It needs to be discussed and debated. Um, also, FIFA's role in, in not foisting, after all, the, everyone bids for it. And we know that World Cup's not profitable anymore to host. FIFA takes most of the profits. So it is these lesser countries with the money to waste and who want um, a certain popularity, a certain image to come out of this who actually buy it, buy the rights and end up, you know, I mean, sometimes in this case, it seems like it's not even the most obvious choice to have such a big event. Um, so, but the other thing is, and I, I need to, I mean, I think this needs to be discussed. I mean, I think it's completely all right to um, discuss these matters of immigrant exploitation and so on. And um, also their conservative views to do with, uh, uh, um, whatever, sexual rights and so on. And these need to be called. I think players should be allowed to perform these in principle, like and the word you used, anodyne protest, right? I mean, the fact that they're wearing an armband, I, I can't believe that anyone should have an objection to them just, you know, wearing an armband. It's not like they're actually imposing their will. It's just, okay, that we may not agree with something and then that's all. I mean, if they were being very public spokesmen about it and causing, you know, other types of maybe, you know, that that's a different question. But wearing an armband is a problem. It sounds a little odd. But the second thing is the World Cup's being held in the U.S. next year. I'm wondering in the next four years, is anything actually going to be said about anything? I mean, if you're talking about, <laughs> I mean, it's a little, to my mind, I'm not saying it's hypocritical to call out how the Qatari World Cup has been organized, but 
I don't think this would come up at all in like, you know, I mean, the U.S. organizing anything would probably be banned if we were talking about human rights. And I don't think it'll come up in the next four years one bit. So academics and, you know, whatever, Twitter academics who do bring that up, I think there is some point over there, which doesn't mean that one shouldn't call out. But I, I don't know if the same critique will be offered. And I think it should. I'm not saying that, okay, hence don't call Qatar out on that. But also remember that the question extends to when big sport events are held in, in other parts of the world which have whitewashed themselves over the past 200 years in ways where they seem to be paradigms of liberal and and, and um, whatever more mainstream part. The other, and, and this is the last thing, and, and then maybe one of you, you can continue, one of you can continue the conversation is Russia is not allowed to play this World Cup. It was almost like the entire federations, all the countries, FIFA, there was an immediate um, understanding of what this Ukraine war was. And within three days, all the TV channels are, you know, stop the war, Russia is bad, Russia is banned from the World Cup, they weren't allowed to play there. And I'm not saying that there are, but I think the stories are a bit more complicated, right? When you, it seems like it's easier, right? I mean, they're, 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 I'm, I'm wondering if, I don't think the US or any Western Europe country has been banned from playing something because, you know, they happen to have gone into Iraq. Or That's the thing, yeah. Happened to have gone into Afghanistan. You'd imagine that- There's the US... a double standard, yeah. Well, double standards and, and very obvious one. And, and yeah. see, the thing is, well, double standards, we know this for a while, but what was really surprising about the Ukraine and, and, and Russian situation, the Ukrainian situation, which um, spilled, is how quickly, within three days, like they, it was like it's almost all set up, you know, I mean, just has to, yeah. something has to happen and it's there. It's, you know, the infrastructure <laughs> is, there's no debate, nothing. <laughs> and I'm not saying that, okay, this is the wrong decision or something. I'm not like, okay, maybe, you know, there is a point over here, who knows. But it does seem like, you know, there are different rules for, and, and Russia is not, you know, Russia is not the third world or anything like that. It's, 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 it's you know, a, a largely Western country and maybe not in the same way as the U.S. is. But the point is that it's, 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 it's in that sort of, it's, it was a former empire and so on. So, it, like, where does one draw the line over here is going to be a question. But I think these questions have to be expanded rather than, you know, um, okay. And I think this is also... Mm. In a globalized world, I think, Mark, you were talking about this, in a globalized world where networks of money and are, are so complex, can you very easily sort of pick out certain countries or organizations or individuals as the quote-unquote bad guys? Not that you don't, but I'm just saying that the network's much larger, and I think those networks need to be investigated and then... Um, um, the 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 fuller network needs to be um, sort of brought to the surface rather than just those parts which are convenient to whoever's covering this. Sorry, that was a long speech. Yeah, I think. No, no, I think that's kind of um, the some of uncovering, like following the money. A lot of the journalists have done a good job uncovering uh, sort of who the bad actors are on behalf of these federations um but 
the like the Jack Warner type of characters. Um, like I and I think there's enough sinister figures to go around. Um, but yeah, now I forgot the point that I was gonna make beyond what you were just saying about like the the quickness of the you know like the of, of Russia uh, being ousted. <laughs> And like the same thing with like, the, I, you know, that, that that's fine, but it, it, that there is this like pre pre fabricated apparatus that's like, on the other hand, when the U S goes into Iraq, you know, this is post 2000, but there is, isn't much of a question on this kind of uh, right. level of like opposition It's just like, Oh, you have anti-war protesters and they're isolated and no one likes the U S because you know mcdonald's glo- american <laughs> globalism globalization like no one likes that but it's all that is is just uh treated as just a snobby cultural europeanism uh whereas here <laughs> it's treated as a universal and i but i think maybe my bigger point is that i think this can if we take these uh, there could be something productive in sort of analyzing even how this discourse is carried out like the loris example where what it can do is update our our priors as far as like the the it, we can be more explicit. It's like what are we actually saying, right? What when we speaking right. from like a, a, a perspective of uh, Western uh, secular football world, um, what is it that we object to? Like right. we can't really talk about religion too much, and that's an interesting feature of um, <laughs> the 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 reportage because it's too hairy i guess to talk about but right yeah at, every now and then like constitute we say there's an autocratic sort of qatari uh saudi arabia qatar they're monarchs they're autocrats and there was a very brief mention of the shura council mm-hmm. in one of these previews for qatar they're like well they're kind of like a parliament or something <laughs> but the, the question of diversity and like cultural pluralism as well as like constitutional pluralism could you have something would we allow something like a constitutional democracy uh to emerge in one of these countries where we couldn't conveniently say well they're not democratic so they're not good and if we did then you'd have to say well they have this this function there it's the shura council it's because they they do islamic laws sort of uh, made constitutionally updated but this is their thing and if you respected that as being their thing to what degree do you respect it again the apartheid thing was it should have been easy it wasn't for everyone just to be like oh that's the good side bad side but we could kind of be explicit about our principles why we came out with the value good side bad side and here i think the principle would be and this is why i was talking about the zizek thing there's this bit where he always goes on his Obviously, his big punching bag is uh, uh, come on now. Let, let's have it. Yeah, let's have an impression. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and liberal multiculturalism. So, <laughs> so I, I think the productive point he makes in all of the the sort of uh, <laughs> the crazed Zizek stuff, ball of mist. The the productive point he makes, I think, is that like. At some point, if you are saying, yes, we are multiculturalist, we sort of have these values, we're pluralist in this way, we want people of different cultures to be welcome here, then you also have to 
uh, reckon with this other justification that's like, look at them. They're just like us. That's why we love them. That's why we respect them. That's why they give them rights. But you can't say that. Instead, you have to say, look at them. If what you should be saying is like, we have these values, these principles, enlightenment right. principles and values produced. And so like we give them rights no matter who they are. Right. And yes, there are limits to what they can do, but they can, you know, and those limits that that sh should be a robust liberalism of that form. Right. Um, the, the economic side kept aside, maybe. Mm. So if we updated to talk that way, then it would be interesting to see what this British discourse that, again, it's fascinating how religion is missing religion and race being the two categories that, like, I think British football uh, media slowly they've come to start talking about religion I'm sorry race because of the American issue in 2018 and like players starting to take the knee and stuff right then we started hearing like oh maybe Marcus Rashford, Marcus Rashford has a point and we should listen to what he's saying but you have this huge problem in places like Birmingham and it's like you know Fox News will say that that's a no-go zone because of the the conservative Muslims and blah 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 in fact Fox News is obviously crazy and and, but on the other hand, you have all like this um, a, a Muslim question in Britain and a Muslim question in France. And I see that underneath a lot of this uh, mm. because now it's a Muslim country, but we don't we don't see them uh, say that. We see words like conservative come up, like more right, universalizing. Right. 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 You know, just one yeah. thing, I know, Mark, you have you have some, but you know, just one no, because good. you mentioned Zizek and. The thing is, and this is not Zizek, certainly not the first to point this out, but these conservative values, a certain dictatorships, authoritarian structures in certain parts of the world, this is not just emerging from a particular country. These are imposed, or well, <laughs> imposed in the sense, or at least conserved, protected mm. by, mm. well, the U.S. Empire and the British Empire before that. I mean, it's it's not like simply that, you know, okay, both right. countries are playing catch up and, you know, from they're they're getting there, you know, from the tribe now they have, you know, it's not, I mean, that'd be a very racist way of looking at it. It is that these, and they should be called conservative structures of state and society, I mean, a certain, certain norms, those are very brutally maintained by Right. Uh, Western interests. Anyway, Mark, I think you, I mean, that, that's something I just wanted to put out there because. No, uh, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah. It's, I mean, that, that's certainly one place my mind goes. The second place my mind goes is like what, in terms of if we're talking specifically about what players are meant well, to do, like. But say a little more about that, Mark. Hmm. About, I mean, you mean flush it out or, or, or what the point is? Yeah, because I, I would, because uh, I think the, uh, I'd push back a little bit just to be like, yes, that's totally true in terms of the, colonial and early post-colonial colonial situation. But then, you know, this post-Arab Spring, whatever that was, both sides of the coin, we're saying conservative straight state structures, you have the sort of, um, you have an arena in a lot of these countries where you have the potential for constitutional democracy or monarchy or just mm -hmm. straight up military dictatorship. All of these options are culturally conservative in certain way the institutions that are on offer it's unclear which ones the u.s are you know right, geopolitical right. interests are shifting enough that they they would support um 
either. And no, no longer is there an easy Mubarak choice. Well, now, right. you know, the, the, the religious conservative option might just be the, like in the case of Egypt, the Muslim Brotherhood comes in and that was kind of the democratic choice. We had an issue with that and would probably, you know, the, you prop up the military dictator that would potentially be more secular. But yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. yeah go, go ahead, Ashwin. No, I mean, uh, my, no, no, my, no. my thing is just, it's okay, let's say for like most recently in Afghanistan, Taliban was, you know, US brainchild in such a way. And okay, fine, they got rid of the slightly more liberal um, uh, type of government that, uh, that they had installed after that. And then the Taliban came back. But and so you're right. So it's possible that at a certain moment, it might actually be that the U.S. is fostering a more quote unquote liberal state structure. Right. Because but the point is that that disappears as soon as that particular society starts to retain, want to retain their own resources, want to protect their own mm -hmm. markets, etc. Then, you know, it's the conservatives are back because the US will back those. I mean, this has happened everywhere. So what I'm what I think well, the you point mean, and, like the economic conservatives. Yeah. Yeah, the economic conservatives. I mean that that is why the yeah. US has an interest in all these places, right? So even though for a certain moment, okay, it might be easier for them to funnel resources by putting up puppet governments which are more quote unquote liberal or you know have some sort of affectation of democracy or parliaments and so on that disappears as soon as they actually become that right and they want to retain they yeah. actually want to have a say in where they stand in relation to yeah. the global market right, right. I, mean, I think yeah i think like ryan's point is is that there's more there's more, let's say, um, diversity, perhaps, um, that uh, of options available to, that, like the big players, the big international players, could get behind in these places. Um, so it, it, there's more cultural specificity or religious specificity um, open, you know, since because I've read, I remember what was that documentary we watched back in when you're at Binghamton of like the ex CIA guy talking about all the people that he had killed, you know, setting up <laughs> just in that <laughs> government. You know what I'm talking about? It was like some famous like whistle, whistleblowing. Um, it was a very popular book, like the hitman, the something, the economic hitman or something, where it was like very yeah, clear yeah. that the oh, CIA yeah. was just John setting up. Some Yeah, I think the confessions of an economic yeah. hitman. Right? Yes. Yeah. And it's like, okay, in that case, he's very clearly yeah. just setting up a very specific, uh, you know, very specific uh president and let's say government yeah. behind him pretty much is always him and then like now the case could be it's not necessarily that that's what's happening in a place like let's just say qatar but like it's clear that at least from the from the tifo documentary what they're pointing out is just like okay u.s um you know u.s was willing to be like an uh, like a military protectorate you know whatever in the early 2000s whenever that was in order to kind of secure um uh, you know, uh, uh, a reasonable distribution of, of resources. And so even if um, there's different um, forms that it can take, it's obviously not that hypocrisy doesn't necessarily, it doesn't have to mean anything. Like we live in a like a complicated world, but there, that's where I just mean in terms of like, 
I'm not necessarily like into cultural relativism all the time and everything, but it, it is like hard in a place to to for me to draw a line and say like we should or or I'm open to drawing a line, but it's unclear like what you're saying, man. Like what is the line that's being drawn? And at least so we can talk about the categories. Like what are what exactly are we protesting? Because mm-hmm. I, I had a moment I had yeah. a moment where I was just like I was like, okay, you know, half of the TIFO documentary or just half of any class about colonialism and 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 this is like about oil and about like all the evils yeah. that, that 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 the that the people within the country and then um you know uh the the western countries that are ensuring its distribution to themselves and then just as that happens i'm watching on youtube and like you know youtube with all the advertisements and then just like a hummer commercial came in for like 15 <laughs> seconds of someone just like riding a hummer through the desert and it was like a wordless commercial it was just watching this white woman <laughs> drive a Hummer. I was like, oh, this is like, you know, this is poor timing on Hummer's part. It's like, they're, you know, like they're having the op- opposite effect on them. But I'm, I'm seeing like all of this um, difficulty for me. Maybe I'm just being unnecessarily like, you know, academic about it. But it's like, even think about like, okay, I'm a player playing in Qatar. I didn't get my U.S. national call up. But if I did, you know, what, what, what do I do there? Like what are you what 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 are we expecting them to do? Because it's an odd uh, form of protest. Like often, I was even thinking with like mm-hmm. the graduate student with the with the with the graduate student strike you're involved in. I was even thinking that that's kind of a difficult union to be a part of because of the necessary transience of the job itself, and that's a job that lasts whatever five to ten years. You know, in in an ideal situation, it's like okay, how committed are we really to this? If it's not like this is my full time profession, I'm by definition going to be leaving. So how committed am I to the to to whatever cause we're having? So um, in Qatar, the people are gone in two weeks. What are, are we? Are, is anyone really expecting um, Qatar and Qatari human rights abuses to stay in the media um, in the years that extend beyond? So you can just imagine, like, what what can of worms would would I be opening by protesting against this brutal regime and what trying to make a mockery? of them or like shaming them about the way that they're going to be treating their people. I would be worried about what the fallout would be when the international spotlight isn't, isn't on that. Uh, how would you, um, how, how would they be dealing yeah, with people, that? Uh, do you know what I mean? So if people have made this point, uh, okay. especially with the LGBTQ community, and uh, I think some Philip Gilker is probably is one of the most clear about this, that like he's has these contacts in Qatar who are anonymous, but, specifically they say don't come in waving your flags and don't it'll make things worse for yeah. us when you leave. yeah exactly so don't make a spectacle out of it um so i think that's that's good that like the, at least the level of journalistic engagement is elevated to the point where they're conscious of those problems um but on the other hand i guess what i was trying to say a moment ago about like the way the word liberal or modern or conservative it's used, I think, in the media or the, the conversation about, around this is that like it, it's coding actually just a set of religious outlooks. And right. what's, what Ashwin says is completely right, that your protectivist policies are what is what is going to get you knocked out of the uh, sort of U.S.'s good <laughs> graces. And what's happening with Qatar uh, or Qatar versus Saudi Arabia and the UAE, you have this proxy war among different monarchies and with the you know Egypt on one side and and Iran you have different possibilities for something possibly else 
But all of these, in terms of what we would be like protesting, I think the easiest, no one, I don't expect any of the players to be up on the geopolitical nuances, but just like with the Iranian players, Sardar Azmoun, for example, like what, what is he speaking out against? Yeah. It's the, the treatment of women in Iran, right? Simple uh, social policy. That's like a straightforward type of thing. And then uh, that he wants to change off. Um, supporting those protests. There's a freedom that's, you know, social freedom that's being denied. Uh, in the case of Qatar, what's it's like Dave, the David Beckham situation, it's like he was mm. a spokesman for, um, for like gay British men, like a hero. And then he's going there and sort of saying that, oh, this place is awesome and is just doing PR for them. And so mm. they want him one to stop the PR and two like don't take the money don't do the PR and also like if you're going to do it then also point this out in some minor way and one of the interesting arguments for it is that like look by talking about this and making it uh forcing Qatar to come out and say oh yes we support uh you know we don't actually persecute anyone we don't you know go around rounding rounding up people who men who seem effeminate because someone called them in or whatever and throw them in jail like they will actually change that behavior because of the spotlight and the policing which interestingly is what neoliberal sort of transnational organizations <laughs> yeah. have successfully done with capital before like the imf and like uh, unicef <laughs> and with uh, like in morocco i when i was there I remember someone telling me about how the apprentice programs that they had because of Morocco, the king signing certain accords with um, UNICEF, they couldn't have apprentices under a certain age anymore. Um, right. at the sort of master artisans in the under the master artisans in the workshops in Old Fez, because these are child labor laws that we and now have to enforce because we're in the global community. So, I mean, I don't know that this is this applies, but this is the logic that people have thrown out there for like a reason why they'd want them to like why even a symbolic gesture would be you know, wanted. You know, I have a couple of things to say about that. Maybe it'll be slightly against what I began with a little while ago. Hey, I mean, if an individual is really committed, like, OK, Marcus Rashford seems to have a you know innate political interest which 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 you know comes out and matches and, and um which is fine you know okay that's that's his personality and so on great but just i mean a player's my thing is actually and this is completely coming from brecht and so on is i don't even want some sort of like in this spectacle which the world cup is you know i mean like we last episode we were talking about how boring international football is and a lot of the, um, <laughs> the interest behind it is you know patriotism you know through players and countries and so on and it's and the glory which is beyond anything else in, in any sport in, in one way but you want to do politics you need to do it you know this is not where you are going to get this satisfaction or you should not be getting the satisfaction you know this is too easy a catharsis that you know whatever, Messi or Loris or some goof, you know, wears a black armband and while I'm watching someone hit a 30-yard strike, I'm also, yes, okay, that guy's also great and he's also politically fantastic and 
I'm getting the whole experience, you know, I'm drinking a beer, like every, every <laughs> desire is being... You're driving your hammer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And this is bizarre. I mean, this is, you know, in fact, it's easy catharsis, you know, on TV. You want to be involved in politics. Not just, I'm not saying, okay, do it elsewhere, but also that dissatisfaction <laughs> yeah. with the world that is constantly being generated, which causes a lot of existential despair and so on, find funnels for it in slightly more difficult ways than, you know, switching on the television. You know, this is what I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, okay, everything has its own um, arena and it should stick to that. But what I'm saying is if you're really seeking political catharsis, satisfaction uh -huh. through the television, there's something completely off about this. You know? I mean, I would prefer... Awesome. If footballers just sure. play the game and you know don't pretend that they're yeah. doing something else, as long as, and, and it's okay if they are like Rashford and all that. You know there are a couple of players who want to do what they want to because you know that's 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 a personal thing. But expecting this out of footballers is, is to my mind, uh, a mm -hmm. little odd. Now, just one more thing, Ram, is that yeah, it's also <laughs> who is doing it. Loris, the U.S. men's national team, or whatever, all these players. They come, they perform a few protests, they wear a few armbands. In the end, it's not because of anything else, but, you know, they're superstars who are coming as diplomats to a particular country, doing whatever they want, and then going back. You know, they're protected by all sorts of things. It's like they're as protected as perhaps the merchants, the British merchants who were selling opium in China in, in, in the 19th century. There's no way that the Chinese could actually come and slaughter them, right? They know that this is the gunboats are right behind. It would be very impressive if a Qatar national player wore something like that. He makes a protest. Mm -hmm. you know, he went. Right. That would be really, that would be a genuine event. All right? Or the U.S. men's national team in the next World Cup. They refuse to play a match or something. Or they not taking yeah. the now to, but or they whatever they wear black instead of whatever the color is. Yeah, that would be meaningful. Here you have some bunch of really privileged dudes who are coming with all sorts of diplomatic immunities and saying, "Okay, we're going to protest over here because it's convenient." And yeah, and it's come on. I mean, let's get serious over here. I mean, this is bizarre. No. <laughs> not and, no, totally vouching for it, but yeah, it's, I mean, yeah. No, no, especially your first point. Uh, I really like that idea that there needs to be some friction. There's too much satisfaction of desire. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, like yeah, a, with, totally. with a bad film where you have like wish fulfillment at the end. That's what I hate most. Yeah, like I want to, if you want something to give me social commentary, it should be dark comedy, formally dark comedy yeah, yeah. or like something where there is not this wish fulfillment. And to that point then, like what's going to happen earlier you'd ask, like what's going to happen in four years? It, 2026 World Cup. What's I think what'll happen is the U.S. will just take all of the boxes we have, you know, are, and you'll see yeah. the same thing that you saw with the appropriation, very quick appropriation of Black Lives Matter or something. Yeah, that yeah, like, yeah. It, you know, just as Gatorade and Nike and everyone can do it, you'll see now the sort of what is sort of Granchi's sort of hegemonies has reappropriated things uh, at, at a at a rapid pace, uh, so that. You know, the just as the the hippie clothing becomes hot topics clothing, um, in the same way, you'll just have a new line 
re put in there about like how good the workers are paid and treated at um, U.S. World Cup preparations yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you'll have this frictionless like way of like uh, you ritualize and commemorate every single thing that right. you could feel the, the guilt around right. the World Cup. You know, you'll say exactly. the knee at first. Everyone will have multicolored armbands. Whose land? And, whose land was this originally? that we're yeah. playing on today like all of these yes things. that'll definitely be there and you know so then yeah i i think what but so what would be interesting is short of an actual i think you point to something also like what did work well in like the nba uh the when they didn't play was it the minnesota timberwolves or the bucks or something there was one day where i was like oh game's on tonight at tnt and well yeah because it was in milwaukee and they just didn't play. And that wow. was when the NBA was like, oh, shit, we have to listen right. to our players and do something. Right. Before that, the NBA wasn't clearly on board with all this, you know. Right. Um, and so you'll need that kind of event. But also, I think, like, the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's kind of frivolous, but I think what would be that friction-causing type of, uh, you know, like where does soccer give you something that is social critique? Uh, that's, I think I get that from players who are more anarchic and like mm. the Cantonas of the world or like the Decanios or like the Ricardo Charisma or whatever. Absolutely. Um, down to Balotelli and Zlatan and like Absolutely. The people who, they're not really saying anything. They're not making a good political player like just reasserting a kind of individual and i guess maybe if you're a good like, marxist or whatever you probably don't like this this is more of an art anarchic maybe it's just that anarchic aesthetics and uh is easier to enact <laughs> in like a football uh yeah, format yeah, and yeah. it's just uh, a deviation from the social norm yeah i i my, my, I'm, I mean, this is all it's actually super interesting but my 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 the way my mind is going is like um you know I was involved with like these Center Johnson and these guys who are always critical of like Black Lives Matter from like a black, you know, lefty. You did a really good interview with Cedric Johnson. Uh, oh, shout out. I think okay, you can so... still find on the internet. <laughs> linked in underneath or something. <laughs> no, but but the the thing that I always liked about them was they've just been vindicated entirely. They just had to probably wait a couple of years. It just seems like everything, all of their, you know, crit criticisms of what would happen um if you like reread it not that i have but i'm sure like they've probably just been entirely vindicated but the thing that i that would always bothered me not personally about them they're like sweet people to what i understand but like about their perspective is it was like so self-righteous it was always criticizing people that weren't doing anything effectual as if that criticism was in it like they weren't doing anything effectual itself. They, were, <laughs> they were just uh, so i'm not saying like we're not proposing that you know anything in, in its in its stead but like insofar as we're not proposing anything or or what you know um but then i i just get the sense like the question that you know to be less politically correct than we typically have been is like how how much I'm, i was the genuine thing i was wondering coming into this podcast was how much am i supposed to care about any of this um when i'm watching when i'm watching the game not just in those like the the simple sense of like if you're a Newcastle fan, how much do you really care? Do you really want to know where that money is coming 
how you got Bruno Gumarish. Like, I mean, do you really want to know? No, you just want to finish top four. Um, and so I don't, not just in that sense, but like I went for a run just before this and it's like snowing. You know, I'm in Pittsburgh, it's snowing and it's very cold, but I went to the field right by my house and there's like people playing pickup you know, it's like late at night too. They're just playing pickup. People are bringing the, the, you know, the, um, the little pennies and it's like pretty well organized. And I was like watching and they're so happy, you know, it's a diverse crew of people and everything. And it's just like a wonderful, I may be like so happy. And then I remember when I was bus, I, I drove across the country once with like this, um, Iranian friend and, um, he was like a super Foucault guy and like super anarchist and was like involved in the protests in the country, you know, like seven, eight years ago at this point. And um, he was, and I, me and another guy really wanted to go catch the NBA finals. It was game seven of uh, Cleveland versus uh, the Warriors. And we really wanted to go catch it. And he was giving us so much shit. He was just like, how can you care about all this institutionalized sports? Don't you realize that like all the evil links and all of this, and it's like, you know, Foucault and, and and he was saying like, yeah. And I was like, oh man, like soccer. I just love soccer. He's like, he's like, it should just all be co-ed. It should all just be pickup. It should all just be for fun. Like as soon as you start institutionalizing it and professionalizing it and then making all of the Foucault links to like in the chain, you know, like the, like the Liverpool links in the chain, like the Foucault links in the chain from, you know, like a professional academy to like, a, you know, like a Qatari World Cup. And like those points could be made. But like the, the thing is, is like, I'm not like the pickup game that I witnessed tonight. There's a clear joy when the best player has the ball. There's a clear joy that everyone is experiencing. That's a deeper joy as a footballer than like when just like a little kid has the ball or like the girl who's participating, who's okay. If the girl's good, then that's a different category. I don't mean to be incorrect, but like if someone's friend is just there and okay, no one's defending her. And it's like, there's a different ethic and there's a different like satisfaction that emerges from like genuine sport. Um, and that's like, you know, increasingly competitive. Um, and I don't think, I, I, I don't necessarily like, have a problem with that, that satisfaction. Like as someone who played at a decent level, it's like, there's something where you intrinsically seek that out and you're going to seek other people out who are really good. And you're going to seek out the best coaches and you're going to want the most, the best training for it. So I'm just wondering like how much, because if, if that Foucaultian argument is right and there's all these links in the chain, it's like, there's probably a level of let's call it evil or injustice at any level of <laughs> sport. And it's not that like the players are, I'm not trying to say the players are hypocritical for not, okay, if you're kneeling here, you should be kneeling here. And if you're kneeling for this, you should be kneeling for that. It's more like, it's not about the efficacy of the protest, but all the points you're making are true about that. It's more about like, should, <laughs> like, I, I mean, do, is, is that a problem? I mean, is, is, that, is that a problem or is that something we can just be okay with? Um, because there's something, okay, Ashwin, you're saying, at the international level, tactically, it's boring, and that's that's true. <laughs> like it, it is aesthetically disappointing, uh, oftentimes, when you watch the World Cup. But there's something kind of intrinsically very satisfying that I personally would would feel at a loss without a certain kind of aesthetic. And I don't know if that just makes me like an asshole or what that makes me. But I was totally like rebelling against what this Iranian kid was saying about like we should it should just all be co-ed and it should all just be for fun all the time 
And like, he's probably right that if you, once you, inst once you institutionalize it, once you instrumentalize it and make it more competitive and integrate money, um, you kind of will get all this ugliness that world politics will entail. So then it becomes difficult to separate it out, as you're saying, Ashwin, like, from a point of efficacy, yeah, it can be separated out, but it's like all of these questions are kind of necessarily arisen with just all the money that's involved in the game. I don't see how you can, I don't see how, but, but I don't necessarily care. I, I, if I'm being honest, I'm not saying I shouldn't be mindful of the fact that I don't care. Um, and then like, think about it and investigate that. I'm saying as someone who's watching, I don't care. It, no, but, but it's Mark, not. I, I, I think no, no. I think that is. Uh, yeah. You shouldn't care. I mean, the fact is that you are consuming <laughs> a commodity here. It's football. It's something that you're watching. You do it, you know, over the weekend. You know, that's it's enjoyable. You've played it as well. It's something that suddenly now it's like our existential dissatisfaction with the world is such, and this is probably going just going back to what I was saying, is that somehow the commodity should speak and give you the whole history of its production and give you that <laughs> satisfaction the ironic distance right that okay i the only way i can enjoy something right now is if i also know that somehow i should not be enjoying it because of it. <laughs> right that is like the slaughter cynical reasoning thing which is also one of Jack's favorites and and that that i think is bizarre i mean i mean okay fine if you want to it's fine but this self-righteousness is Okay, that that is the point. Come on, you're watching football over here. Don't don't miss don't don't miss what you're doing over here, right? Like, um. Anyway, yeah. Sorry, man, I cut you off. You were saying no, that. no. I mean, yeah. So you you give. I I, I like it. You put it in the commodity form, and so it's like it's kind of should you care as a let's say as a leftist or something, right? And your answer to that is kind of no. And Mark said a moment ago. I think you said I don't care. Kind of as I'm watching or as I'm someone watching, right? And I also yeah. think the right answer to that in that sense is no, but it, it, because kind of, and kind of for the opposite reason, if you took it the leftist direction, I'll go from like the pure mystics direction. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, because this is actually, <laughs> this is like, it, it, not because it's just football, because it really is everything. It's like right. the Aleph, <laughs> you know, like Borges is Aleph. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah absolutely. Well, it, you have to, it matters what angle you approach it from. And it both is that thing and is something else. So like at one yeah. level, what I love about it is that I do care and I'm excited about being able to talk about all of geopolitics. Now, finally, we've reached kind of the point, the apotheosis of this object where yeah. now all of, you know, between Orientalism and, you know, the Gulf War history and all of the world systems talk because all of the money is laundered through soccer by these Gulf states on different sides it suddenly is the perfect uh, the the perfect object through which we can begin conversation like we can represent and talk about like social theory but at, yeah. at the other level it's also through the the beautiful geometry of triangles flipping and inverting we can really talk <laughs> about pure metaphysics too and like yeah, this yeah, is like yeah, a neoplatonic totally prism as well <laughs> so i think it's just it's the perfect prism and the problem is when you confuse like orders of discourse one for the other and suddenly a fact in one order makes completely no sense in another so. yeah I, I love it we finally got into the theory it was mostly soccer 
you know, it's been mostly. But it was always both. <laughs> One question, though, I mean, which is slightly different from the trajectory that we've um, discussed so far, is is it? This is, and we've discussed this often. This is basically the end of the Messi Ronaldo generation, which has defined football of the last 15 years and also advanced football in many ways in, in um, uh, how it's played and statistics and so on. Is it odd to either of you that when we are, when, when their last World Cup is being discussed, it's okay, does football or Messi a World Cup or, well, it's not said of Ronaldo that often and his recent antics haven't helped, but the point is that it's either him winning, right? It's Ronaldo winning a World Cup. It's Messi winning a World Cup. And Ryan, you were talking about, Mar- I mean, you, you'd mentioned Maradona just offhand a little while ago. That connection with the national team, like Maradona and Argentina, there's a very, very organic connection, which is why he's so beloved mm-hmm. there. In this neoliberal world where individual superstars, you know, they're billionaires, they're whole countries and fiefdoms in itself. This is, I mean, what do you guys think? This is a fairly unique thing, right, that we're not even thinking of. I mean, of course, Messi is Argentina, but no one cares about whether Argentina wins the World Cup. Like, you know, it's more, (laughs) can Messi win the World Cup? It's actually a kingdom in itself. Like, it's an institution, a commodity, a brand. It's, and I'm calling it it's, I'm not even saying he anymore. Um, it's, It's something that's sublated onto its own realm. That is something that, is this going to, in the era of global superstars, or is it just these two which have this kind of, um, like this complete removal from every club and team and country that they have played for? Like they're in their own realms in a sense, or is this, mm-hmm. is this the, is this like, has this come to be, or is it just sort of singular to, to these two individuals in at least football? Mm-hmm. What do you guys? Oh. Yeah, I I don't think with Messi it's a um, kind of in the age of the it, it kind of coordinated with a specific sort of age of capital or something. I think it's just that he's a transcendent transcendent yeah. player. Yeah, I was going to say this like thing. something the kind of natural we've never seen <laughs> since. You have to go back and say Maradona, right? Um, yeah, but Maradona, don't you think he had a much more like you know in Argentina? The his it's sort of more because he won the World Cup time player right I mean even though he didn't spend a lot of his club time there but there's something that he seems like a more popular figure not popular I mean populist popular than larger that. than life definitely yeah within I the think national because imagine. he delivered yeah I think he because he delivered the World Cup Possibly, and yeah, maybe yeah. with Messi it's so many almosts that even. I mean, I thought that Copa America final was just an amazing experience because it was like, oh, oh he oh, finally yeah. won something. Um, but if he hadn't, then I think that tension would still be there. Where I think the antagonism with Mesti was probably because, yes, they blamed Iguain for 2014. Um, <laughs> but until then, it was like, Messi, you're not doing enough. You don't do enough for the... Yeah, there was that line of thinking that was like, he doesn't do it, do it for the... Uh, the even if it's the manager's fault and everything else, it's, he doesn't do enough for the national team. And then uh, it was clear after 2014 that like he does enough. It's uh, Gonzalo got to put that away. Um, <laughs> and then he got the Copa America. So I think a lot of that 
that tension is is dissipated. Even if if they don't win, I think he will be bitterly disappointed and like will cry for years and might never recover. But at the same time, I don't feel as bad because he won the Copa America at least. Just like Ronaldo got his Euros. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm thinking about like with, with, with Ronaldo, you know, I watched that interview or whatever. It was kind of difficult to watch. I was just at work. That's the only reason I haven't watched it. It was like, but, but he was making, he's so unlikable, but he also makes like a, a, you know, I feel like he, he, I think of him like Michael Jordan, you know, having watched that, that Netflix thing of um, what was it called? Um, With the bulls. That was fantastic. I think you were the one who told me to watch it, Ryan. Um, but uh, where Michael Jordan got a lot of shit for not being political and, you know, saying whatever, Republicans vote too when some kind of like white supremacist was running for governor in his, uh, you know, in his they, home bla- state. they buy shoes too. That was the thing. They buy, oh, my bad, my bad. Sorry. Yeah, that was the great. Yeah, they buy shoes too. And like, <laughs> and Jordan was like, oh man, I was just in the back of the bus. Like, I was smoking a cigar. I just threw that line out. You know, I was yeah. gambling for tens of thousands of dollars. Like, why am I? Yeah. Why am I? But Jordan, Jordan makes, I think, like a fairly compelling point at the end of the documentary where he's also like a very disliked figure, like amongst his co professionals. Like, they're just like, Jesus, this guy. But he, he says like look i just i never wanted to be anything more than a personal example to people Mm. and like he's like if you like me and like what i'm doing like follow me and like if you don't like that's cool too like maybe i'm not the guy you should be like looking for which i feel like as insofar as he's not like really maliciously doing anything to anyone and he's just abstaining from kind of like heroic political behavior i think that's like a totally cool line and Cristiano Ronaldo basically said like the same thing in the interview. He's just like, not that he was being grilled for his politics, but he was just like, they're like, do you talk to like the younger players? Do you try to like, you know, you know, and he's like, no, like I'm just, I'm the first one in training and I'm the last one to leave training. And they all know that and they all see what I've done. And like, that's how I tried to, um, that's how I try to have my influence, you know? Um, and so he's obviously not like someone you mentioned in terms of like the, anarchic individual expression that subverts anything in the same way because he's too successful but i do think of him as like this absolutely larger than life figure where i don't i don't know like i find myself (laughs) i find myself rooting for him every time he's cornered because it's just a pure like wounded ego (laughs) like and just you know it's and it's an it's actually to go back uh to go on to exactly what you're saying like it's that individual this heroic individual and where LeBron on the other hand if you realize as a world-class athlete who has this spotlight that oh I'm a symbol and I can project something and it doesn't really matter what I know but if I project the right thing if there is a right answer or if you feel strongly about it like the way the media kind of puts it if you feel strongly about as an athlete then you should use your platform okay if you think there's a clear right answer there's that time where LeBron was like reading uh, he showed up to the locker room and had autobiography of Malcolm X and they like uh, asked him about it and it was very clear that he hadn't read it and he was like <laughs> looking at page one and like saying like really generic things and you could make fun of him because it's like well that's ridiculous but on the other hand it's like if you know that you're on the right side and you know that all my role is I have to project this right uh, then fine maybe you're doing a good enough performance like an actor but on the uh, other hand what's so annoying about LeBron is that he kind of always seems to know he's on the right side um right. and it's 
clear that you should know that you don't know all the time if you are in that kind of position whereas someone like uh so on the other hand the media whoever we are we probably should be okay with saying well if you're not sure maybe you should just not use your platform if you're like oh this is complicated i don't really know and that should be a legitimate option um for like athletes but you know there, yeah, yeah. there are like when I absolutely messi, i agree when i think about messi and ronaldo it's okay ronaldo sort of because of his larger than life personality his petulance at times um he sort of is the less likable figure in a lot of ways but the thing is it's just too i mean and 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 one should i mean whenever you read books um by journalists you know who obviously gone through a lot of material and have interviewed messi is equally petulant in a lot of ways not publicly but if you see the you know when when um luis enrique and and the few managers that were before luis enrique and then after pep there's always even when pep was there there's this sulkiness okay zlatan is in the team am i still you know as important to yeah. barcelona so there is a lot of when when you actually it doesn't come in 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 the news very often because he's less expressive but when in journalism and when people are actually uncovering things you will see that this is a guy who has a different type of megalomania in in which right. is as strong as ronaldo's is in a lot of ways just that it's not on the in, in, it doesn't come out in the public but coming back to what ran was saying about two superstars and individuals it's i think also two ideas of success i think with ronaldo a lot of the success is about him so in the last 8 or 9 years ever since he was taught how to like when his goal scoring abilities um really flourished it's been about him it has to be about him and you can see it so he wants to score the most goals he wants to be at the center all the time which messi also does by the way but the only difference i'll just come to is that messi i think real not realizes but it's just he's okay with he knows that he's the main man in most teams except for maybe psg which is also changing in the last few months but he's been the main man in every team that he's played so he knows that if they're successful it is he who's going to be celebrated like we're all yeah. talking about him and we always talk about him runa and and you can also see it you know in just their celebrations as soon mm. as ronaldo scores he goes to the corner and he does his seal thing right messi he will always see he'll point to the guy who's assisted and i'm not he'll always point to the guy who's assisted and and sometimes it's so ridiculous he's hit something from 30 yards away <laughs> and it's a 5 yard i mean you wouldn't call that an assist you call that an assist and it's not like i'm saying okay he's a humble person and ronaldo is not it's just that their megalomania are two different forms messi is he knows that if the team wins he is automatically going to be there ronaldo's success is more immediate oh, sorry his But- his his desire is more immediate that he wants he wants the the accolades immediately right i scored and and you know i i need to be celebrated immediately so i'm I, thinking I, of I, i was just i was just watching a classico from like 2016 and to your point it's like what always fascinates me to put a hyphen what always fascinates me with watching manchester city is de bruyne has to be by far their best dead ball taker he ha- has to be it just it, we we all see what he can do he only takes about half of them in dangerous positions he will cede the ground to gundogan he'll cede the ground to i've seen him cede it to foden 
Um, I'm sure he'll cede it to, to Holland in the near and future. Mara's on the even, right wing always. Yeah. Mara's on the right wing. And I'm like, and even the commentator is like, it's taking for granted that De Bruyne is going to take this. He's been dominating the game. He's already Cancelo the US. left. Yeah, and I'm, De Bruyne clearly lacks that element of megalomania, whereas I, I was watching this Classico, and now I have a better sense of like why Neymar left. Because, uh, you know, insofar as he also has that megalomania or did at that time, Messi took a series of free kicks in a row in which they were both standing over the ball. One, it was very clearly, it was, you know, right and it was on the left side facing the goal of the, of the, of the um, like 25 yards. That was perfect position for Neymar. Messi takes it, completely fucks it up. And then another one's in the middle. Messi takes it. Then another one, Messi takes it. Neymar's just standing there like, motherfucker. Like, am I going to get, like, I'm just, I'm just as informed as you. And you never see something like that with De Bruyne. So it's like a question of, Ego, that level of ego is clearly has some. That's why I don't knock it with Ronaldo in the same extent because it's like very clearly, like you're saying with the Aleph. I mean, this is like a slightly smaller point. It's just when you're looking at anything Ronaldo has achieved, you're looking at his ego as well. So it's like you're just seeing two sides of the same coin now that you're seeing him, him pout to Pierce Morgan. Like you're just seeing, I mean, he hasn't matured, he hasn't changed, but you were seeing his ego. When he was doing twenty stepovers and and nearly beating Barcelona in, in the in the in the Champions League final when he was like he was you know twenty three or whatever he was that was pure ego as well like it's not like this yeah. um, whereas Messi it's ego Ashwin but it's also just raw talent it's just like absolutely like, yeah. <laughs> like it's like to, 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 as someone who no, understands the game I'm not saying we understand it more than anyone else necessarily although we might um, just by the time we put into it it's just like the combination pl- that he does and all the intricacies, he, he everything he does is now, especially now, like you guys sent me those videos, what he's been doing at Paris the past few months. I mean, the fact that he's doing this, I don't know if he got a, he got Kareem Benzema's doctor. He's now working with him or whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever injection happened. Uh, if, if that's what happened, <laughs> but you know, cause he seemed like dead in the legs and now he's, but the fact that he can still beat people without any pace and then he yeah. can still not only beat people, but like run with the ball for like 40 yeah. yards. It's like, how, how is this happening? You know, it's, it's a different, like he, he's had, he hasn't even, he's, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, uh, and rewatching those Barcelona, not to, now I'm rambling a bit, but rewatching those Barcelona games, I'm seeing a bit more of what's happening wrong with this Barcelona is this Javi Barcelona tried to do the pep thing with two wingers, like really high and wide. But that wasn't what Barcelona were doing when Pep was the manager. Henri had to stay wide. Yeah. Messi came in. And so you yep. had the width. And, 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 but whereas Barcelona, they, they're changing now. But for the first third of the season, they had Dembele and Rafinha both high and wide, forgetting that they're both left-footed and it just made it awkward. So then you're putting much more onus on, on the midfield yep. three. So the midfield three better be better. Exactly. Than what they were and no one's coming in filling that space and like Lewandowski's not he's not that kind of no. player so you're not getting it so I'm like what what are we expecting and Messi would from walk these... the only time he would be high and wide wide is if he was walking away to drag someone exactly to that space exactly and then and that's... that's when they're like their nine was essentially a false nine and all all the time because then Bia or whoever would fill right in and you'd yeah, still absolutely. have that four in the middle against a three or a two Whereas now it's but, like you have too high and, like, well, your midfield three can't combine with someone in another line. 
exactly which would be maybe fine if it was like absolute that's what you're saying with busquets getting too much of Although Busquets had an absolute howler against Osasuna. I don't know if you saw that. He, he, yeah, it's he sad was... that we end up talking Barcelona <laughs> tactics when, like, the World Cup. And, it, like, there was a th- something in my mind just went to World Cup tactics. And I was like, oh, shit. You know, I was going to transition oh, mode, like, for two in a couple of days. <laughs> and then we're going to have to talk. <laughs> we're going to have to talk but... about this Iranian 4-4-2 and how. But interestingly, since we talked about the, the, the protests, I mean, like, uh, you know how Iran's top two strikers are the only ones you, we probably know uh, are good players in Europe. Uh, Sadar Azmoun and uh, Mehdi Tarimi from Porto. And apparently they hate each other. And part of it is that <laughs> Azmoun is uh, pro-protest and like against the regime and Tarimi doesn't like the protests. <laughs> so one thing we didn't talk about at all, but must be like like the dynamic within these clubs and Fair. teams that people, because the the Kyrie everything Irving thing reminded me of like when um, Andrew Bogut was in the NBA. It's like, well, no one's saying anything about what if you have like a Republican uh, activist. <laughs> like, no one would be like, yeah, you should like say what you feel out there because it's like, no, this is a crazy Trumper, which he was, uh, <laughs> but he was mostly quiet about it. Um, so it it would be interesting if we had that at the World Cup. All right, other or just like a pro. <laughs> Right, right. Or a few years ago, if just like Jack Grealish ripped off his Villa shirt and it was like pro Brexit T-shirt, it was just like, oh, what? Like, what are you yeah, doing? Like, yeah. that would look very, very awkward. You're like, no, this is. It's only for racial justice. Like, we don't. Or like anti. It's only for like Ukraine. Um, Which is good. Produce. I don't think that th- that's bad. I know. I, just I know. Think it's interesting. It's just a it would be great. It would be great if, like, I think the positive movement would be one. Like the dialectic can move forward if the then the <laughs> British media or whatever sort of realizes, oh, we have to now be explicit. We really are. Right. We're not universalists about our values. We're particularists, and we have these enlightenment values of tolerance. Blah blah blah. That's what we think should be behind FIFA, etc. And like deal with it, which I guess gets us into the other uh, interesting thing of this whole FIFA bigger corruption scandal with Sepp Blatter which is that the way that Bladder was so successful was through kind of the global South in the Federation. And he realized that it was one vote uh, per, you know, per country. Right. And it was like, so who really brought the World Cup to Africa? It's Seth right. Blatter. That was what his whole thing was on. So oh, as much as we talk about purchased votes and all this, part of this was democracy going against the British right. and the UEFA. <laughs> Because the whole global South said we support Sepp Blatter. So fascinating paradox. Yeah. We should come back to that in the future. Yeah. Um, I think we should wrap up. Yeah, Ryan, I was going to say, um, can we get a prediction? Austin's already gone on the line and picked a Messi or Argentina. I picked Germany. Argentina versus Brazil. That the winner of that, yeah. Go on. Austin's hedged. She's hedged. She's picked <laughs> Barcelona <bets>. somehow. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Ryan, who do you have? A, do you have anyone? Any intuition? Oh any man, intuition or or just nothing or? Yeah, for some reason, I don't think Argentina will win it. Actually, wait, that group is really easy. They're definitely going to cut get through. Um. And oh, sad news today. Senegal doesn't have money. Money, yeah, right. So, yeah, so 
I think, unfortunately, it makes that group a little more interesting because uh, I think the Dutch... Uh, it'll be interesting to see Louis van Gaal, I think, is like dying of cancer or something. Like, this is his last year to live or something. So I that'll be... Maybe the Dutch, my romantic pick is that the Dutch kind of rally behind their manager and Depay scores the winner in the World Cup final. I would love um, a Depay. I would love a Depay. Frankie gets a, gets a, like a long assist, one of those <laughs> like turns, nutmegs. Yeah. So uh, Johan Cruyff, Iron Robin, Marco Van Basten, they never win the World Cup and Depay does, <laughs> you know, what the hell? <laughs> Depay. Yes, he's another one. Yeah, this is like that anarchic player who does that 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 turn in that last year. Oh, such a wicked turn off his right shoulder with the the uh, holding up the player on his the left. The pie is, for my money, like as good as essentially anyone in the world game. Bar <laughs> maybe like you, come on, <laughs> dude. Bar Messi, I, I Mbappe. I I think <laughs> he is just. Absolute the issue with Depay class, is that he man. just has like got obviously late in the East Coast, you know. Yes, yeah. I think the issue with <laughs> the issue with Depay is just his but, but finishing. Now. In no, like, tell us, tell like us, give us one. He just team. had those months. <laughs> no, no, I'm sticking with the Dutch. Oh, you are. Oh, you're going with the Dutch. But oh, I thought this was a yeah. build up to go with. Uh, to go with Iran or something. Okay. No, no, this was my romantic. I, I should. <laughs> sit down and think about who I actually think is going to win. Um, but okay, to be serious, I think the serious pick is Brazil. But my heart is going to be with the Dutch. Well, Ron, you're with I not, about 99.9% of the other people. Everyone's picked Brazil. I have yeah. another question. Yeah. Real quick. If the U.S. men's national team was in the Premier League, would they survive relegation? Yeah, just like Leeds. They'd be leads. Like, this is, they have like, you know, taught, it, it, some of these players I think will just go to leads after this tournament. Uh, like they're auditioning for that job and the rest of them already are there. So I think McKinney to leads would be a good, like yeah, once yeah, that yeah. contract runs down a little more, I think that's actually going to be a move. But yeah. Okay. Well, Next time we get together, we will be <laughs> discussing the World Cup. We'll be in the Wait, any thoughts about Germany? Well, oh, yeah. I think Max, they're going to win the World Cup. Max I think they're going to win the World Cup. Oh, you have them as a pick. Yeah, because I was thinking that like Musiala is really good. By the way, well. Mark, they've, they've, they've warmed up by beating Oman, Oman 1-0, which they needed an 80th minute winner to win. So nice. you know, I don't know. If, I mean, that may Germany. not mean much, but you know, I'm just... Oman's keeper used to be Ali Al Habsi of Bolton uh, Wanderers back in the there early you go. 2000s. Right, right. So what's oh, what's oh, the we, what's the weak <laughs> what's the weakness with Germany? Center what's forward. The, what else? They're also is in weakness? a tough group. They're with Spain, so I mean, of course, they can. That doesn't mean. And if they come second, I love Spain, they're but they're likely the issue to also be, with Spain. But by the way, they're likely if they come second, they're likely to meet Belgium, and if they. Yeah, Belgium with that old ass five in the back. I think. Still... I mean, if I'm not <laughs> forgetting the groups, Belgium is a wasted generation, man. This um, is a fascinating I... World Cup because, on the other hand, like who's you know, this is a weaker Germany, sure, in that sense. Up top, they're weak. Um, but not so even is... up top, just like just the number nine is weak. 
Yeah, the number nine. Uh, but wait, so Sané is on great form. Yeah. Uh, so is good right now, yeah. And Musiala is amazing right now. Gundogan uh, is in the form of his life, too. Gundo is he's playing really well, man. Kimmich has played think... well. Goretzka. One of those three isn't going to get in the team. I mean, Cruz has already been edged out, like, years ago. Yeah, he's yeah. still holding down the Madrid spot. You have this very, very competent back line all Cable the way across. Oh, shit. You have the best You're keeper right. in the world, probably, in, at least in terms of international pedigree um, and what I would expect of him. So I don't see a weakness. I thought I always thought the weakness was however you pronounce his name, Love. Love. I thought he was just an yeah. absolute d- disaster. I mean, he was just his tactics were, were, were terrible in the Euros. I, I don't put that down to the players. So I think they're a strong, they're a strong team. I don't want them to win. I don't particularly find them agreeable. Um, but <laughs> huh, yeah. I mean, Spain, you see? it's it's Sorry, did you see how weak the French midfield is? Look at the, 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 so many injuries. Kavinga's hurt. Oh, he's gone too. Is Kavinga? No, he's, he's gonna gone. Really? Play. He's gonna play, I think, but he's Jesus carrying Christ. an injury, so he might not start the first game. I think France is only bringing like five midfielders or something like this. I think they're just yeah. coming, like I, I saw the. I was like, I, I expected you know to have forgotten about someone when I saw the list, but. You yeah, have brought Guendouzi and the guy who plays Juventus, Rabiot. coming off an injury. Yeah, so. yeah like get... Which is not... Yeah, but I mean, Gend- yeah, Guendouzi should not bad. be... Guendouzi yeah, I know, that's what I'm saying, that it's not really a very inspiring <laughs> midfield. If yeah. Have. Um, by the way, okay, one last question. So everyone, you know, when, when they make predictions, they say, okay, this is the better team and they're going to yeah. go forward and then, you know, they work it out like that. But no World Cup ever works like that. I mean, the last three World yeah. Cups, the winner is actually the defending champions been out in the first round. Who do you see getting upset? Who do you see out of the you know major eight or nine nations? Do you see any of them not making it out of the group? England. Cheers for that. <laughs> That's bold. Wait, who do you think gets through that group? I would love an Ira- I would love an Iran Wales entry. No, but I, I in fact uh, that's very <laughs> really possible. Iran USA <laughs> yes, Wales. Iran USA Wales. I think they're good enough to get draws and you know one victory and England's out. I would love an England. I think an England knockout would be very satisfying, both because Eng- English nationalism is somehow the most odious of all the. <laughs> it's like yeah, no, you know yeah. Just, to, I mean, I love the, the you know, but, but okay, that's one point. If what's why else would it be satisfying? It would be would satisfying be because Southgate's because Southgate's tactics would be, you know, put to put to shame in a very in a very um, spectacular way. Where maybe if they're playing five right, in the but back, I think that's um, it's even worse in the case of the like. They're even worse. The other two. Which two? Uh, the Iran and uh, uh, <laughs> oh, yes. I see what you're saying. <laughs> but, I mean, Wales for sentiment. I, you know, I was going to ask you around. Do you root for the U.S.? I, I will this time. In your heart. Yeah, yeah. in the okay, past. Okay, so it's, it's changed. Like, it's changed. Yeah, because because in the past the idea was with some of the the MLS ones. It's like, well, well I'm, I'm sure we've lost our entire 
whatever listenership you know with that comment <laughs> <laughs> yeah in the past it was like oh can, could i get on this team or whatever it's like now it's like no you can't <laughs> but i, I think so, portugal i think portugal and my heart really hopes for england to 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 not make it through i think portugal and england those are my two picks for messing it up big time i mean basically not yeah. getting out of their groups I could see Argentina too. I mean, I don't think that group's particularly weak. Aren't they with Mexico and Poland? Yeah, but Mexico is having a terrible but, time. So, Poland's not right. Have you seen either. Mexico play yeah. in, in, in any of the last like four World Cups? They're basically as good as, as yeah, like anyone. But, yeah, but the guys who are playing Normally. were born in the last four World Cups. Right? <laughs> yeah. Too long yeah. a historical context. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It's just like bizarre selection in terms of they have a number of like quality choices they just didn't uh yeah they've gone 36 matches unbeaten them. i don't think it's going to be poland mexico and saudi arabia would spoil that party i mean i think it'll be a little later than that <laughs> i don't know i don't know yeah. poland is not the type of team i'd want to play against at all they came last in their group in the Euros. yeah i think those last. two get through <laughs> all right well we'll see what happens then <laughs> all right don't sleep on poland all right next time we will be talking the world cup <laughs> in the midst of it thank you all for listening and see you next time